Well, last week for me was a true blessing. It was an absolute blessing. I can see some of the smiles on your face. Uh, certainly put a smile on my face. I want to say thank you uh, to all of you for the uh, gift cards, uh, for the notes, for the notes of encouragement, for the gifts that came uh, last week. Those, those things sustain me. And they happen um, probably all too rarely in all of our lives. And one of the things that I remember when I was going through seminary is the, um, the, the professors that I had there, they said, whenever you get an encouragement card or a thank you card, you hold on to that. You hold on to that and you, you file it or you keep it somewhere close because um, life is hard and you need to reflect and look back on those uh, often. And so those cards that you gave me are kept in a, in a special place. Uh, Jane actually gave me a tin to hold them in and I will keep them uh, for a very long time because what you gave me was meaningful and I will cherish it uh, forever. Uh, Pastor Jane's gift was meaningful too. Uh, for those of you who are here, uh, you know I felt very warm and cozy in my Eagles blanket. Uh, that she wrapped me up in, in my, my easy chair that she let me sit in in the front of the sanctuary, and I got to eat peanut butter cups during the worship service, so I was about as happy as you can be. It was a really nice way to do a Sunday morning, that's for sure. Uh, but Jane also gave me a special gift because her message was an introduction to us on the topic of money and stewardship, on uh, Thanksgiving, and this season that we're in of giving. As Jane said, this is the traditional season of giving. And she said, no pastor likes to talk about money. And, and I think that's true. Um, I don't like talking about money, but it's not because I'm uncomfortable talking about money. It's not because I don't know what to say about money. I don't like to talk about money because I don't think that people want to hear necessarily what I have to say about money. Uh, that's typically why I don't really love to talk about it. Uh, money really is one of the two topics that shows us what's most important to us in the world. It's one of the two topics that really can show you what's most important. The other one is time. Money and time show you what's most important. And when we look at how we spend uh, our money and our time, we get an honest assessment, an honest look at what matters most. What matters most to me? What matters most to you? It's like looking in a mirror. It's like looking in a mirror, and uh, sometimes we don't like what we see. Right? When we look at a mirror, sometimes we don't like what we see. But the truth is that when we look at the mirror, it's okay if we don't like what we see. It's okay. If we look in the mirror and we're looking at it and we say, I don't, I don't like my hair today, we can you know, put some product in it or we can take a brush and we can, we can comb it. Right? Or if we're looking in a mirror and we're like, oh, I don't like that it got my teeth. I don't like the way my teeth look. You, know, you can clean them. You can brush your teeth. You can do that kind of stuff. Right? If you look in the mirror and, and you don't like what you see because maybe you're a little overweight, as Pastor Doug was finding out this past week when he went to his physical, <laughs> right? you're like, okay, you don't like what you see. Like, that's okay too. Right? Because if you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, the mirror is just a reflection of where you are now, not where you will be in the future. It's an honest assessment of where you are now, but it doesn't necessarily dictate where you're going to be in the future. It's interesting because when we talk about losing weight or looking in, the, in, in, in a mirror, studies have told us that when a person who is overweight looks in the mirror more often, goes back to the mirror, and sometimes we kind of do this, but when we go back to the mirror more often, studies tell us that that person will actually find, they'll lose weight. They'll actually lose weight because the more they go to the mirror, they don't really like what they see, it actually, the more often they do that, they can lose weight. And so what I want us to do today is, is not so much look at 
the mirror for our weight, but I want to look at the mirror for our financial assessment. I want us to take an honest assessment, and not with fear or trepidation because we're afraid of what we're going to see, but to say, okay, let's honestly look. Let's honestly look at the mirror and look at our finances and look at how we manage our finances, and not with fear or anxiety, but with the hope of being able to align ourselves with God's perspective on money. That's what I would like us to do. Over the next several weeks, today and the next two weeks, um, we're going to look at our money from God's perspective. And the title of the series is Keep the Change, uh, which is just essentially saying God allows us to keep the change, and he lets you decide what to do with it. It's your change. You get to do with it what you want. And so as we're taking an honest assessment of our finances, today we're going to explore the four lies, the four lies that culture tells us about money, and we're going to compare them with God's truth about money. And then next week, uh, Bonnie Volme, uh, one of the newer members of our community who came to us from uh, Preakness Faith Community with Pastor Jane and others, uh, Bonnie's going to be sitting up here with me, and she's going to be sharing with me about the power of giving. And together we're going to talk about one of our favorite outreach programs, uh, which is uh, the Wind Food Pantry. And together, uh, Bonnie and I are going to look at um, how we can uh, continue to support Win and what Win does so that we understand what we're giving to. And then in week three, we're going to explore how we can all be rich towards God. So that's where we're going to go. That's what we're going to do over the next several weeks. But before we do that, let's pray uh, for our time together. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for the gift of mirrors I thank you for the gift of honesty. I thank you for the gift of your grace that is in all of our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our ears and our minds and our hearts to what uh, you were about to say through this message. Slip through my words, God, I pray, and touch all of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's a woman. Her name is Rachel Cruz, and Rachel is a financial uh, author and speaker. And she has this statement. She says, if you do what culture says to do with money you're only going to get culture results. If you do what culture says to do with money, you're only going to get culture results. It's not rocket science, right? It's like the old saying, if you put garbage in, you're gonna get garbage out. When it comes to money, if we do what the culture tells us to do with money, we're not going to get God's best for us because God's best and the culture's best are at odds. God's best and the culture's best are, are different. They're, they're, they're so different. They have different expectations. They have different results. They have different goals with respect to your money. The world has one way of looking at, uh, at money, but God has a completely different way of looking at money. These perspectives are at odds with each other. And if you do uh, what the world or the culture tells you to do with your money, you're going to get culture results. And these results are always going to be less than God's ideal, less than God's best for you. Now, when you look in the mirror and you see uh, what you're looking at there, your financial mirror, you think about how you are currently managing your money, right? When you think about that, what do you see? What do you see when you look at your financial manager? When you, when you hold on to your money, whatever it happens to be, where you, you hold on to your money, who else has their hands on that money with you? Because one of those two players has their hands on the money with you. Either it's, either it's culture or it's going to be God. Someone else has their, their hands on your money as you are managing it. Now, before we get to answering that question, because I want to just take a step back, because 
that might be a hard question to answer. I want to take a step back and ask ourselves, what is the world telling us about how to manage money? And what is God telling us about how to manage money? So before we answer who's touching that money with you, let's think about how these different players manage money. Here's the first statement that the culture makes, that the culture makes about money and finances. Number one, you deserve it. You deserve it. It's yours. We live in a culture where our stuff owns us. Our stuff owns us. One of my kids' favorite childhood memories is traveling in the car. And we listen, we listen to uh, this Christian radio show called Jungle Jam. And you can actually ask if you want. You can ask uh, Katie, Beth, or Abby. Um, you know, you can ask them all to sing you the theme song, and they will. Uh, Jungle Jam is one of our favorites. It's this, this radio show that taught lessons about faith in God. And in one of the stories, there's a character who sings a song, and he sings a song about having too much stuff. And I've even asked the kids, well, I don't know if Abby might have left the building, so Katie might just be you, but it goes on like this. He says, it seems to me, the more you have, the more you have to have to take care of the things you have, right? That's the song. It seems to me that the more you have, the more you have to have to take care of the things you have. And the moral of the story is we live in a culture where our stuff owns us. We're all living to take care of the things that we have. Now, please hear me. It's not bad to have nice things. It's not bad to have good things. Just don't let your stuff have you. Now, our problem, or at least one of them is, one of them is we compare ourselves all the time. We compare ourselves. And, and, and when we compare ourselves, we're feeling inferior because we don't have what the Joneses have. You don't have what the Joneses have. But the truth is, the Joneses, 78% of the Joneses, they're broke. So you don't have what the Joneses have, but the Joneses don't have it either. But they look like they do. They look like they've got it all together. No one wins in the game of competition. Nobody wins. But the world tells you, you deserve it. Just keep going. You have it already. You can't have it if you don't. Just go get it. And if you have it, then then you're going to be happy. Then you're going to be happy. That's what the world tells you. You deserve it. But God has a different plan for our money. He tells us to combat our owning stuff and fight the comparison game with gratitude, with humility, and contentment. Contentment. Years ago, Pastor Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church. And he wrote another one called The Purpose Driven Life. It, that book has now been rewritten to uh, be called, What on Earth Am I Here For? Millions of people have read uh, this book. And in the book, uh, Rick uh, says that gratitude is not just for what God has given us. Uh, gratitude is not just for what God has given to us, but it's for what God has entrusted to us. Not just for what he's given to us, but what he's entrusted to us. Everything belongs to God. Everything. It all belongs to him. Our passion, our work, our money, our talents, it's all God's. It all belongs to him. It's all his. And our job is to steward, to take care of, to watch over, to manage what we've been given for God. We are managers of God's resources. 
And in a heart filled with gratitude, there's no room for discontentment. If our heart is filled with gratitude, starting with an understanding that we're grateful to God, there's no room for discontentment. And humility, Rick goes on to say, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's what humility is. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking more of other people. When we're thinking of ourselves less, we are more likely to think about others, which leads us to giving to others more. God's a giver. He has given us everything. He has so, given us so much, and he has a plan for us to learn from him how to give and how to give to others. When we practice gratitude and humility, we will find that the natural byproduct of practicing gratitude and humility, gratitude and humility, gratitude and humility, the natural byproduct is being content with all that we have. When we are content, we are not comparing ourselves to others, and we're not chasing after more stuff, stuff that ultimately owns us. So you deserve it, and learn contentment. The next one, culture says this, says you don't need anyone. That's not a lie that the culture tells you. You don't need anyone. You, you don't need anyone. We live in a world that tells us that one of the ultimate goals in life is to be independent, Right? is to be independent. As you grow up, as you, as you grow out of your family of origin, as you grow up, the goal is to become independent and live on your own. One of the marks of adulthood is to become financially independent. And one of the hardest things to give up as we get older is our independence. Our independence tells the world that we are in control. We've got it figured out. We rely on that independence for stability. We hold on to our independence fiercely. In 2014, now I know this is almost 10 years ago, but I doubt much has changed. In 2014, Money Magazine reported that 70% of married couples, 70% of married couples argue. They argue about money ahead of fights about uh, household chores, about togetherness, about sex, about snoring, about what's for dinner, all these things. Money was the most important thing. 70% argued about money. What that shows me is that people believe the lie that money will give you, money will give you security and control. But holding on to money and control are the very things that keep us from vulnerability and healing and being healthy before God. God's response is that community matters. The world says that you should be fiercely independent. God says that community matters. In the early church, we saw this beautiful picture. As Jesus has uh, been on the earth, he uh, was crucified, he died, he rose again. Uh, he was with his, his disciples and with people for 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven. And then the church was born, right? And the people were starting to figure out how to be the church. And in this beautiful, crazy time period, what bubbled up with this was this sense of community, that had never been seen before. Community that no one had ever seen or heard of before. It's this community of interdependence over independence. The people came together as they had a need and they sold whatever they could to help people as they were able to, to help cover the needs of the community. There wasn't a sense of, it's my way, I want it this way, it's me, me, me. As individuals, they came together and they served 
as a community. Culture says you are on your own. So hold on to your wealth because it's the only source of strength that you'll ever have. Hold on to your wealth because that's what's going to get you through. God's response is, yes, it is scary to be alone. You're not made to be alone. So as you're able to pool your resources to do what you can when you can and lift one another's burdens, we are so much better together than we are apart. We can do so much more together than we can apart. Lift each other's burdens with the gifts that you've been entrusted with by God as a steward of his resources. Community matters. The third lie that the culture tells you is that when it comes to money, you're a failure. Culture tells you that when it comes to money, you are a failure. From the, the time you were five years old, I'm willing to bet that you've been learning how to count money. You've been learning how to count money in your piggy bank. You've been taught the lie that your net worth is who you are. This has been going on since you could barely talk. Our identity is wrapped up in our bank account. How much do you have in the bank? We don't talk about that, but you're certainly thinking about it. How much do I have in the bank? What can I afford? If you make wise choices with money, if you make wise choices and you make money, you're good. If you make bad decisions, you make a mistake, you're a failure. All based on money. We deal with money every day, every single one of us. We deal with money. No matter who you are, the reality is, is that you have made a mistake with money at some point in your life. You have, I have, we've all made mistakes with money. You've overspent, you've mismanaged, you've poorly traded, you've miscalculated. At some point in time in your life you have. And because money is trackable, because it's all about ones and zeros, having them in one column and not having them in another column, when you lose them, when you lose those numbers, you feel like a failure. But here's where God's gift of grace comes in. We've all made mistakes. And when mistakes are made, grace comes into play. That is the greatest gift that God offers. Money has one of the biggest holds on your heart. When you make a mistake, it hurts. It hurts. But God's biggest trump card on mistakes is grace. No one is righteous. No one. We all sin. We all make mistakes. We all turn away from God. We all make money an idol in our lives. We do that. And in those moments, instead of beating ourselves up when we've made mistakes, instead of beating ourselves up, God says, offer yourself grace. Offer yourself grace. God gives you grace, so look in the mirror don't see what the culture sees. Don't see what the culture sees, but see what God sees. You are not a failure. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Culture bombards you. Culture bombards you. It tells you you deserve it. You don't need anyone. You are a failure. These are the things that the culture says. The fourth lie that the world will tell you is YOLO. You only live once. That's the fourth lie. You only live once. That's what they're going to tell you. So do what you want. Do it now before it's all gone, before you're gone, right? 
You only live once to spend it. You only get 70, maybe 100 years on this rock that's spinning through, the earth, uh, spinning through space. You might as well do what you like because nothing else matters after you're gone. That's the world's perspective on, uh, the culture's perspective on money. But God has never had a YOLO plan for us. Look at Proverbs 13, 22. It says this, Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. A YOLO culture tells you, do what you want with your money, it's yours, spend it now, however you want. But what God says, what God says, his message to us, is that how you handle your money today will outlast you. How you handle your money today will outlast you. You have a chance in this life to pass on your wealth to someone else. But not just your money. It's not just the money that you will pass on someday, but it is how you approach, how you deal with, how you manage, how you, the, the belief set that you have about money. All of that will actually be passed on as well. Others will see how you manage your money now, and that lesson will be passed on into the future, to future generations. What God has entrusted to you is an inheritance for others in the future. What God has given to you is a legacy that you can pass on. And here's a very poignant example that we're all living in right now that, that hopefully will, will galvanize this principle for you. Years ago, our church created an endowment fund. For those of you who don't know, we have an endowment fund uh, of the church. It was created and uh, several hundred thousand dollars, five hundred thousand dollars. It was doing very, very well until the economic crash of 2007, 2008, when we lost a lot of money. Um, we were able to use that endowment fund before that time frame uh, for things like uh, building improvements. We were able to do outreach uh, ministry and, and we were do, able to do education. Uh, programs. It was a really neat experience for us as a church that we could take the proceeds of that and we were able to give that away. It was a wonderful gift where individuals, individuals within the church came together to create something new and something wonderful. They built a community for the future of the church. Now during COVID and even before COVID, we've been keeping our expenses low. We've been trying to do the best we can, but our income has not been able to match up to the bills that we have. So we are uh, effectively taking about thirty dollars to $40,000 a year out of the endowment fund to pay for our bills. We've been drawing down off the endowment fund to make up the difference. Now, obviously, we can't do that indefinitely. Eventually, that money runs out. I mean, thirty dollars to $40,000 on $500,000, now let's say it's $400,000. That's not a lot of time. Um, obviously, we can't do that forever. But here's the reason why I'm telling you this. It's not just to give you the financial impact. It's not to make you feel bad right now. Put that aside for just a second. Here's why I'm telling you all of this. If it were not for the people in the past who gave money to this church to create an endowment fund, to come together as a community for Wayne Presbyterian Church, you would not be sitting in the pew today. If it was not for their forethought and their vision and their desire to build a legacy for this church, we would not be able to be here today. Our doors would have closed a long time ago. 
good people leave a legacy for the next generation. They have a godly perspective when it comes to managing their money. They learn to be content and practice charitable giving within their community. They offer grace to themselves when they make mistakes. And the decisions that they make now will outlast them. When you look in the mirror, when you look in the mirror and you think about how you will manage your money going forward, when you think about how you'll manage that money going forward, will you listen to the culture or will you listen to God? Which one is going to have their hand on your money with you? Which of these areas that I've outlined today, from God's perspective, learning uh, contentment, building community, offering grace, establishing legacy. Which of these areas is a growth area for you? If, if you're like me, all of those are growth areas for us. Every single one of those we can probably all you know, grow in because the lies of the culture are so strong and we're having to combat that. But here's the thing. Pick one of the ones on God's side of the column, one that stands out to you. Pick one of God's plans for money and then ask Jesus, say, Jesus, I, I pray that you would show me, that you would show me how to manage your money in truth rather than, than dealing with the lies. So that when we look in the, the mirror, we, we won't make the mistake of being anxious or fearful, but we'll be confident, we'll be healthy, and we'll be whole. So my encouragement to you is to pick, pick one. Pick contentment and pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach me to be content with what I have. Pick community and pray, Holy Spirit, let me, show me, show me that, that what I have, Lord, show me that what I have I can use for the betterment of others. Pick grace and pray, Lord, help me to see myself clearly as you see me and give myself grace, grace for past mistakes. Choose legacy and say, God, show me how I can give and leave a mark on the next generation. Pick one of those. And then let's keep looking. Let's keep looking into the mirror until all we see are God's truths and the lies of the culture just pass away. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your words to us. I thank you for the truths that come to us from Scripture and how, Lord, as we, as we memorize Scripture and as we hold on to uh, your good word, Lord, we are able to combat the lies of the culture and those things that would seem to undo us. And so, God, I pray that every single one of us today would walk away today with some kind of an action plan of learning how we can be uh, drawing closer to you holding closer to uh, the truths that you say. As we deal with our money, as we look at ourselves in the mirror, Lord, we will offer ourselves to you. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.